Bleach and Naruto, where they literally have demons inside of them. Oh, like yeah, yeah, the supernatural, the yeah. inner yeah. evil inside of their care inside of their bodies. Like it's an inner evil. Like we're born with evil. We're born right. in sin. Yeah, yeah. In my mother's womb, in sin, my mother conceived me. Conceived me. Yeah, yeah. And I think that truth is still resonant somehow by God's common grace. Right. Yeah. 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 That, in that, that culture. Yeah. This is the KKT Show. Alright, so, um, hello, welcome to another KKT Show podcast, and um, with me, joining me today is Jacob Van Olst, a friend of mine, a fellow anime enthusiast from Canada. Jacob, hello. What up, Karen? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, alright, that's, that's actually remarkably close to, yeah, 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 alright, um, so let's begin, anime. Um... Yeah, it is. It is a form of art, isn't it? Anime is a form of art. So we'll we'll go in from there. How do you view art as such, and maybe in in Christian terms? How do you view art in Christian terms? Uh, I view art in Christian terms similar to how Tolkien viewed it, where he said, when an author writes, he is yeah. trying to convey some of his own sub creator into that book right and i kind of view anime and other art forms in general in a similar way right so yeah 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 because um there are a lot of depictions of stuff going on around and all of that is considered art and um while they're not particularly Christian, we'd still call them art. And yet there, there would always be a distinction, I guess, which you draw, uh, mm. in, in which something isn't really glorifying God, and therefore, while it's still art, it's not, it's not Christian art. Mm. But on the other hand, there are some who might say that it is only Christian art if it depicts religious imagery. And I guess I have a problem with that, uh, and I guess so would you, because... Uh, it's not just religious imagery. Or I don't even know if you you depict religious imagery, but but anything that is true and beautiful and noble would all be, I guess, quote unquote, Christian art in some sense because it depicts noble virtues and and nobility and truth and beauty and all of that. Yeah, I think that's kind of similar to what Saint Augustine said about truth, right? Right. Where yeah. he said, "All truth is God's truth." So yeah. if God owns and makes everything and upholds the world, then of course it's going to be in essence his art. Yeah. Like yeah. even if it's trash, it mean it still in essence belongs to him. He can do away with it if he wants. Like that's his prerogative, like he did with Israel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And um yeah, and on that point I guess um the reason I brought up the dis- distinction is because it's because there's this verse uh, i forget where it was was it in isaiah 40 19 let me let me just um see if i can find that yeah it was in isaiah 40 19. let me just quote this thing um uh it's it's it's, it's simple it's actually 
Yeah, a craftsman casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts it for silver chains. It's basically talking about artisanship and, and using uh, artisans using their skill. But it ends up perverting God's glory. So there's, so there's certainly uh, a kind of depiction that would, that would pervert the glory of God, I guess. So that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's one part of, of, of art when we, when we speak about it in, in those kind of terms, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think there is always going to be that distinction of image of imagery that is going to be not made for God. Yeah. But specifically still somehow glorifies God, like the rocks and the trees, like Thomas Aquinas's natural revelation. Right. Yeah. And then yeah. the other and then one art specifically made almost evil in a sense in which it's 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 not glorifying god is actually perverting the glory of god and when when mm-hmm. we create stuff like this right as in isaiah 40 19 when he creates something that is used by the people to glorify that particular thing i guess that <clears throat> would then be a excuse me a, a form of art that 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 perverts the glory of god in some sense mm-hmm. would you say that so yeah would, i would, would that agree be with you a, yeah, so would that be a distinction that we can draw somewhere? All right, so so we begin in that kind of uh, a mode, and um, it's uh, the, the reason I began with this is because we are going to talk about anime, and anime is in some sense art, and mm-hmm. art as we have seen can be used to glorify God, and as well uh, can can at, at times be a perversion, bring about a perversion of of, of God's glory. So, how do you view anime as art? And um, maybe I'll, that'll be a two-part question. Uh, how do you view anime as art? And how do you view anime, the cultural phenomenon? Because because at some level, I think we can do- draw a distinction between anime as art and anime as, as a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, I, I think you're right. Uh, the other day, I was seeing like this chart on the rise in anime. Right. of popularity and it was like slowly starts from here and it's like 1999 1998 1999 and go 2009-ish 2020 it's getting higher but once you get to 2020 it's over here once you skip to 2021 it goes yeah. all the way up i'm yeah. like Wow. <laughs> and as someone who's recently gotten way more into it than he has in the past, I think you kind of, with everything the news touches, you kind of get yeah. to see more of the perversion than the good right. stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Because the news likes to. Yeah. Push out the uh, more. Yeah. Yeah, more satisfying stuff, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A little depressing, but uh-huh. uh, I think that's my view of it as a cultural icon. Like, yeah, it, yeah, it's, as a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, it's a cultural phenomenon. Yeah, it, it's it's it was originally big, especially to like people who played D and D or just knew about it in general. And now it's like, whoa, this is just as cool as the Marvel movies now. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's yeah, that's a funny tangent, but but I think I'll I'll I'll, I'll jump on that because uh, it's 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 a it's a particularly Western view because while back in India, um, 
when you say you watch anime, mm. uh, at first it's it's almost uh, all right. So you watch cartoons, and um, and then you've got to delve into a bit and say, well, no, not exactly. It's not exactly as cartoon. I mean, want to watch this series with me? And you obviously show either Pokemon or or Dragon Ball Z, which is I guess uh, which yeah. were the uh, famous ones back then. And then yeah. they come in and then they watch it with you. But um, but there is there isn't the cultural stigma attached to being an otaku or weeaboo, I guess, in some cultures as as it is over here. Because uh, if if you watch children's stuff, uh, you just watch children's stuff, and that it doesn't matter if you watch cartoons or anime or, or whatever. And if you've gone past eighteen and you still watch that. You're weird, but you're still not an otaku or a weeaboo. You're just, uh, <laughs> you're just weird. But um, so that's yeah. that's kind of the perception here. So um, yeah, but uh, over there in the West, it seems it it seems more uh, agreeable uh, to say that you love Marvel when you're in your twenties, rather than to say you love anime or cartoons in your twenties. Now I I think that's that's shifting, I guess, but. Is that, is that is that depiction accurate at least to at least um, maybe a few few years prior i i think so i think back then it was probably more of a phase than it is now whereas people are like right. oh hey people are actually making this to say things like oh, which we'll get yeah. into later like the philosophical yeah. stuff oh yeah yeah and it's not like like the Stuff other than like Naruto and Dragon Ball Z, where it's still going, you have like these finished products yeah, where they tell yeah. a complete story, yeah, almost like a book, right? And I think that's kind of like everybody's noticing that now that we're originally like just writing it off as something nerdish, like D&D, that you just do it forever, yeah, yeah, it's a phase, yeah, yeah, D&D, the, the nerd subculture very different uh, from what we have here but it's still fascinating mm. i'd love to get into the western eastern conceptions of anime and, and nerd culture as a whole because uh, back home uh, when you call someone a nerd what, what you refer to is is the fact that he or she is is keeps on studying and and gets uh, the first rank but that's basically it yeah there is no <laughs> attachment to D D or, or any of the uh, cultural ideas of, of nerd fandom that 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 you see in popular culture Fascinatingly, though, once you get into Hollywood stuff uh, and you realize that that is what the Western conception of nerd is, it quickly transpires that we also seem to have that, uh, you know, desire to call someone a nerd if he or she engages in an activity, not just studying and, and engages too much into it. So it, 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 it's slowly changing towards a Western ideal. I don't know if it's good or bad. I guess I'll have to wait and see. But yeah, yeah. Up until quite recently, if if you... If you were studying a whole lot, you would have known. That's that was basically it. There, there was nothing else attached to it. No D and D. We didn't really play D and D until we knew what it was through uh, Sheldon and all the other Big Bang Theory and all of that. No one had an idea of D and D. But now, yeah, people play this. <laughs> <laughs> I just gotta appreciate you guys play it based off of the Big Bang Theory. Which yeah, I've only watched pieces do. of. <laughs> a lot of us do because that's how you get into all of these things. Uh yeah yeah we we played snakes and ladders not dungeons and dragons <laughs> although I guess you call them shoots and ladders though don't you or is it snakes and ladders there it's it's so <laughs> I don't remember what's on the box cause I haven't played it in ages and I don't remember which grandparent had it 
<laughs> I don't remember if it was my mother's yeah. or my dad's, but I re- yeah. I'm pretty sure it was Snakes and Ladders. I don't think it was Shoots. Right. Yeah, yeah. I've, I've heard some called Shoots and Ladders. But yeah, yeah. All right. So, so but there's one more thing that I want to talk about in the uh, Marvel tangent that we went on, which is... Which is um I don't I, I don't remember the uh, the video of the guy who put this out, but he called it the creative bankruptcy of Marvel, in which he mentioned that um, Marvel comics. Now we're not talking about the uh, huge television, the 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 uh, big screen stuff because it yeah. seems to garner a lot of audience, but mm-hmm. the um comic book stuff seems to seems to be creatively bankrupt in the sense that they cannot produce awesome storylines as anime can. And it seems hmm. to always be driven to uh, a, a sort of uh, woke tendency. And I use that guardedly because I'm not trying to uh, call out some people or anything. But uh, there, there is a tendency to to introduce uh, a whole array of characters just based on their identity as part of the story. Instead of actually having a, a thick, really fleshed out storyline, you just add these characters who have with different identities based on their gender or, or, or race or culture or all of that. And that seems to be the major driving part of the story, which is not the case with anime, at least uh, from a superficial standpoint. Would that, would that be the case? And if that's so, is, is, uh, does anime have way more of a creative juice flowing through than Marvel, which seems to me to be slightly creatively bankrupt? Uh, I would probably mostly agree with that. Um, my personal favorite anime is Cardcaptor Sakura. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Which is a magical girl anime, which, of course, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You call it uh, Maho Shoujo, right? I guess yeah. that's how you... Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that is correct. Um, yeah. It's main... It includes a diverse cast with diverse representation, but it doesn't right. make that the focus of, of the story. story. It, it has a plot going through it and, and i think that kind of ties back to what c.s lewis once said whereas where he said something like um the, the story can have morals in it but the moral the story must never be the moral something like that well, so, that's, that's fascinating yeah yeah maybe expand on that a bit and let's see where we go um, uh, so one of the main character, so there are two main, there are a few main characters in Cardcaptor Sakura. One is Sakura herself. She's learning to come to her, come into her own with her own power and whatnot. Um, and then she meets this young boy and then, uh, he's kind of like detached and they both have, he, she's has this crush on her older brother's best friend and it's you you'll clearly see in the show if you're older he's not straight oh yeah neither of them are but sakura and this younger boy who came to a school from china um he takes a fascination as well to this crush of sakuras and that's how they initially connect right. and then he's like so this is a spoiler warning. If you haven't watched Cardcaptor Sakura, I highly encourage you actually watch it. It's yeah, actually yeah. a really watched good show. It, watched it a bit. Yeah, yeah. Not, yeah I didn't get, go into it. But, uh, yeah, go on. He, uh, he, they learn that he's this like magical guardian of a 
younger boy who is an incarnation of a famous wizard from centuries ago. Okay. And uh, he's like, yeah, you're not attracted to me. You're just attracted to my magic. Go out with Sakura. Huh. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 kind of like you know the sports movies and stuff. When you see you know attracted to me, it's it's just my athletics or my abilities. But yeah, yeah, go on, yeah. So that's so I'm fine with that, right? Like, I mean, I don't have to agree with it, but no, that's, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's that's what tolerance is all about, right? It's right, like, yeah. It's still my favorite show. Yeah. So that that, and it doesn't make that part of the story central yeah. focus the yeah. central focus is, is focus. sakura collecting these cars to get more magic like that's it <laughs> yeah yeah that's that's everything that's surrounding true. it yeah yeah and i guess i guess that's where marvel seems to have lost the plot a bit when when they make the identity of the character the, the um major mm -hmm. plot of the story yeah yeah uh, anime doesn't seem to have that problem at least at least from what i see they they seem to have created all of these these genres so if you are if you want to watch this particular thing, if you want to watch supernatural anime or maybe Yaoi or or all that kind of stuff, there is this there is this catalog for you, and you can go in and watch it there. So you've got um, this particular uh, group where you 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 can you can watch to your heart's content this particular identity, and and so on and so forth. But uh, you're not really using the identity. Or something as as the major driving plot of the story for for a huge anime. That's not it's not what seems to me to be the case in anime. And and you're probably right. Yeah. Mm, and I guess the distinction that we can draw there is that Marvel, at least in some sense, is creatively bankrupt. Now is that a result of of the of modern Western culture being as a whole bankrupt? Or I'm not. I have no idea. Although that's fun to think about. I, well, I, 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 <laughs> to shouted Western culture. You guys are all bankrupt. Look at us. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you're too far off because I think Western culture was like the birthplace of the Enlightenment, which gave yeah. birth to the postmodernity, right? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Although, yeah, which, yeah. And I had this interesting thought the other day about that, and like, we as a the Western culture as a culture as a whole has gotten so used to the concept of questioning and being skeptical, skeptical about yeah. everything. That yeah. we've forgotten the concept of believing in anything. Yeah, that's that's true. And I guess was it G.K. Chesterton who said that when you start to question everything, you you ultimately you have you have no, there is there, there is no end point to it. You're just viewing a lot of mirrors because you keep on questioning all of that. There is no ground for you to stand on. I am. I love G.K. Chesterton. He is a yeah. fantastic author, and he's so quotable. <laughs> yeah, and I've and I've uh, demolished that quote uh, to. <laughs> To ashes at this point, that really wasn't the quote, but the fact is, yeah. But the gist of it was that uh, you can't keep questioning everything. That you have to have some basis, some foundation. That was the idea of Chesterton's yeah. quote. Yeah. Yeah. The, the quote itself. The mind is like a lid. You have it opens to shut down on something. Oh, yeah. Exactly. It opens to shut down on something. Yeah. 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 That was the idea. Yeah. Was that the quote itself? It was close. It's, uh -huh, it's probably yeah. not exactly. <laughs> But it's yeah, probably yeah. more of a paraphrase, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you've got to shut. Yeah, and um, mm, was it? Because I remember that being used in a, in a debate. Yeah, between Doug Wilson and, and Christopher Hitchens when they talked about that, and um, Wilson brought up the same thing, and uh, Hitchens <laughs> said, "Well, you know, you can wait for it to hold on to something because even now we are in the process of, of finding out 
what it is that we ought to hold on, something similar to that. I guess that was his argument in some fashion, if I remember right. Uh, Hitchens, I haven't, I'm not sure if I've watched that debate, but I, I, Hitchens was interesting in the fact that he is, at the end of it, he is kind of like, he has this interesting, did you hear about that story with like the, uh, him signing the book and the girl, the woman coming out to him? I seem to remember and, parts of it, but no, yeah, go on. Uh, and what happened? He's like, oh, that my legacy is trying to be this atheist against Christianity or any religion whatsoever. Is like, huh, maybe this wasn't the greatest idea. <laughs> <laughs> something like that. It, yeah. it was interesting. Yeah. In fact, my yeah. associate pastor said it's something better. So, my my right. pastor said it better than I did. But yeah, I guess yeah, that that might have been true. Yeah, yeah. Christopher Hitchens, yeah, awesome, awesome guy. But yeah, seems to have a lot of contradictions going on. But yeah, so the whole the whole thing. Uh, which um, as a philosophy, which any philosophy aside from Christianity is going to have as a whole, and we're probably yeah. going to see that as more as we go along. True. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Which and, is going to um, be fun. <laughs> which is which is going to be fun. <laughs> And and I guess that's where we landed at uh, the uh, the uh, the Western culture uh, being being this awesome cradle of civilization for quite some time. And, uh, and you know, uh, people don't really uh, applaud that, but I think they ought to because it is the birthplace of civilization. It is it it is a fact that uh, Western culture brought us mathematics and science, the uh, the scientific method in particular. Although mathematics might have been started by the uh, uh, those in the Middle East. It's, it certainly is the Western scientists who, who use mathematics and the scientific method to give us all of these things. So, so yeah, that well, is we a have, uh, democracy, Socrates, the rule of law. Exactly. Yeah. Socrates, the whole of the Greeks. The pre-Socratic method. Right. Exactly. Pythagoras. So that's, yeah, yeah, true. So it's certainly true and laudable that Western civilization has given us all of these. And, and it's also sad that it is the very same civilization that is now uh, bankrupt in in a lot of ways, and yeah, that's that's sad. But yeah, it 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 is what it is, and and um, in some senses, I hope that uh, other Eastern cultures would adopt good values from from the Western culture, and and you know maybe integrate all of that and move forward. Yeah. But, um, yeah. Yeah. All right. So we talked about that, and um, we're still in anime, and anime as a cultural phenomenon. And um, here's where I guess we'll move into the the uh, philosophical aspects of it, because when something is a cultural phenomenon, it'll certainly have to have all of the ideas and and institutions and foundations that that give rise to a culture. So obviously, you would have depictions of justice and injustice, good and evil, and all of that, all of that, right? So you you you're gonna have that in these depictions in these anime, because we we see how. Hollywood uh, produces movies that mm. blatantly have a moral structure. Even though you claim to be subjective to the uttermost, you will have, you will presuppose a set of moral values that you deem to be the best. And that is how you would put out your your movies. What? How do you view the moral structure of anime? If they have a moral structure... They will certainly presuppose some kind of a of a of a moral structure to their story. So, how do you view that, and how global is it? Because because and here's a question: it certainly has wide appeal, and the and the appeal of anime would be driven in part to how people 
relate to the distinction between good and evil in these shows so because of the global uh, appeal of anime do you think they've got something right in terms of good and evil right and wrong or do you think it's just uh, a, a human tendency to to like this particular stuff how do you, how do you view that oh i think that's probably going to depend on the anime yeah uh, true the shows like monster and death note they're probably going to be more focused on the uh, human nature aspects like uh, monster you have probably more of a humanistic view of nature whereas right. death note you probably have more of a religious slash humanistic slash religious humanistic idea of human nature um right. In Steins Gate, you probably have compatibilism and incompatibilism along with... Um, I have to watch that anime now. Yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah. I haven't uh, watched Steins Gate, but yeah, yeah, go on. Um, I haven't watched it, but I know the basic gist of it. <laughs> so, oh, all right, yeah. So there are some anime. Compatibilism. Uh, I hold on. Obviously, talk about it in some sense, because it is fascinating. <laughs> I think that was note eight. Let me see if I can find it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, that's cool. Uh, ah. It's compatibilism and incompatibilism. The first believes free will and determinism are not mutually exclusive. And yeah. I wrote on my notes, several Christian confessions hold to this. And Steinsgate is quite the example of both of these ideas the second of which being that they are, in fact, mutually exclusive. Um, Thomas Hobbes was a uh, most likely heretical theological compatibilist. He believed um, God was some sort of like physical essence matter, sort of like the force, but personified. Right, well, not so we're talking about Thomas Hobbes, the, um, the political guy, the guy who wrote Leviathan, or is it someone else? Uh, yeah, that's the right guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 So human but, nature uh, is entirely corrupt. The guy who thought about that, as opposed to the um, Rousseauian view of of the noble savage, we have Thomas Hobbes, who said that humanity was entirely depraved and it's it's brutal, and you need uh, government to to uh, mm -hmm. give some sort of structure to society. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah. Uh, yeah. Animalistic men, I guess, in some ways, given to the yeah. nations. And it's interesting because once I once I uh, saw the words determinism and free will, of course, I think of like John Kelvin and yeah, Kelvin yeah, and Hobbes, which is just huh. funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So that's uh, so, yeah. That's not a connection just, I drew, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just funny. <laughs> yeah. We could we could think uh, of John Kelvin and Kelvin and Hobbes beard. Yeah. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> yeah. No. Bill Watterson actually thought of actually named them after John Kelvin and Thomas Hobbes, which is interesting. So that, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I know that. It, I didn't know that until I saw the Wikipedia article. I'm like, that's amazing. But now going back it to is. these comic books, I like, I can see that. I wish I did more of it. But yeah, go on. Yeah, yeah. So fascinating. Yeah, to think but, of that. Tangent aside, the <laughs> uh, compatibilism and the uh, determinism and free will being compatible, like the Christian confessions. Let me see if I can find the Westminster Confession of Free Will here. I often quote this when people say Christians are just autonomous 
Yeah. And like which is mm-hmm. which is the um, popular view, I guess, apart from uh, Reformed Baptists and a lot of Presbyterians, I guess, um, a lot, and maybe even Reformed Anglicans. Uh, a lot of uh, denominations would hold to the um, autonomous view of human free will, in some sense, human autonomy. I think that would probably depend on the person within the denominations. Oh, I was talking about the denominations whole. Yeah, yeah, people might differ. Yeah, because yeah, yeah, true. Because oh, I've read. I've I've read the confessions a few times. Uh, I went through uh, the three forms of unity, which is the Dutch Reformed, the that would include the Heidelberg Catechism, which was written in the fifteen hundreds, oh. the yeah. uh, Canons of Dort, also fifteen hundreds, maybe sixteen hundreds. I'm not entirely sure, and the Belgic Confession. Right. Those are the three forms yeah. of unity. And then the Lutheran Book of Concord, the 39 Articles of the Church of England, which is Anglican, um, the Westminster Confession of Faith, and, yeah. and the 1689 London Baptist, Baptist Confession, Confession. Yeah. of Faith. All right. yeah. And then uh, Westminster Confession of Free Will, um, God hath endured the will of man with that natural liberty that is neither forced nor by any absolute necessity of nature determined to good or evil. Uh, Deuteronomy 30, 19, Matthew 17, 12, James 1, 14. Two, man in his state of innocency had freedom and power to will and to do that which is good and well-pleasing to God, but yet mutably so that he might fall from it. Genesis 1.26, Ecclesiastes 7.29, Genesis 2.16-17, through 17, and Genesis 3.6. 3. Man, by his fall into a state of sin, hath wholly lost all ability of will to any spiritual good accompanying salvation. So as a natural man, being altogether averse from that good and dead in sin, is not able by his own strength to convert himself or to prepare himself thereunto. Uh, John 15, 5, Romans 5, 6, etc., etc. For when God converts a sinner and translates him into the state of grace, he freeth him from his natural bondage under sin, and by his grace alone enables him freely to will and to do that which is spiritually good. Yet so as that, by reason of his remaining corruption, he doth not perfectly nor only will that which is good, but doeth also will that which is evil. Uh, John 8, 34, 36, Colossians 1, 13, etc., etc. 5. The will of man is made perfectly and immutably free to good alone in the state of glory only. Uh, Ephesians 4, 13, Hebrews 12, 23, etc., etc., etc. Right, the, yeah. That's the Presbyterian Confession. Yeah, yeah. Any thoughts? No, no, uh, and I agree with that because, yeah, uh, obviously, I'm uh, being a Calvinist myself, but um, the question mm, would be, how is, Stein, how is Steinsgate uh, related to compatibilism? Uh, as in, do they, in some sense, invoke uh, a deity who is uh, divinely sovereign over all and yet gives humanity a sort of will within that primary causation, secondary causation? Is, is any of that... Depicted in science kid. I mean, I was just asking because. Of uh, so minor spoilers in Steinsgate. Yeah, yeah. 
the uh yeah spoilers spoilers listeners yeah. viewers yeah. um stein in Gate, the main character is trying to rescue this one person from tragedy by going back in time right and, yeah. Uh, he can't do it right but he keeps trying and there are points in the show where they make a point to show uh, he can change this he can change this he can change small acts but the true outcome is going to remain the same so you can see like determinism yeah, and free yeah. will are still compatible he's still going back in time to try and change that yeah. but the outcome still remains the same yeah 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 we're talking more in the sense of humanistic compatibilism but yeah i guess compatibilism as such is is portrayed in the anime yes right yeah yeah, yeah. fascinating right right and you can and still that... see the connection of a uh, humanistic compatibilism and absolutely. theological compatibilism absolutely yeah yeah and um and i guess that's where a lot of people would disagree with us when we talk about compatibilism because uh, they'd argue no no that that makes man uh, ultimately uh, not responsible for his evil acts but i guess uh, that's where creator creation distinction comes in and all of that but yeah yeah uh, that's, uh i that's think good... yeah you, you, earlier just a minute just a second ago you said they would make them not responsible for their own actions is that what you said yeah yeah the objection uh by given by a lot of people to compatibilism is that uh compatibilistic uh view of, of god's sovereignty would would make men uh not responsible not culpable for their sins because they seem to view god's handling of history as a sort of um micromanaging type of stuff you've heard the same thing in uh, if you listen to the uh unbelievable podcast you would have had Molinism and Calvinism. Uh, William Lane Craig and James White uh, talking okay. about, uh, yeah, yeah, that. And um, this was the I, major I've, point. I've seen, a, was, I've seen yeah. a little bit of William Lane Craig and James White. I, I will admit that I'm not the biggest fan of either of them. <laughs> right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm a huge fan of JW. But um, nice. either way, either way, the, I the whole discussion. It. Yeah. I still respect him. <laughs> yeah. But he is a uh, Baptist. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> All the good ones are, you know, we, we, we don't know. <laughs> but yeah, uh, coming back to the point. Um, yeah, so so during the discussion, uh, the main argument from WLC was that, you know, this makes this makes God the author of evil, as um, that, was the, that was his major contention. This makes God the author of evil, this makes God the author of evil. How can you say that God uh, sovereignly ordains all of that and still say that man is responsible because... If God sovereignly ordains all of this, then the first sin would have to be divinely ordained, and therefore, the whole of humanity is fallen to sin, divinely ordained, and thus God is the author of sin. And um, and I find that no, uh, the reason I, I I I say I find that funny is because um, there is the authorial model of divine providence in which uh, uh, God would be sort of like Shakespeare, and um, he he includes evil in his place. But that doesn't make him culpable uh, for the evil in those places. It is just that the evil exists to to show how awesome the good is in some sense, to show the, the greatness of redemption, the glory of redemption and all of that. So the authorial model of divine providence would be, I guess, an answer to critics who say that that makes God the author of sin. But yeah, there is the other objection that it also makes men not culpable 
because ultimately it's God who micromanages all of that. Like that's the major objection that people bring when we talk about compatibilism. Yes. I think I have three responses to the your objections. Um, right. I think the first one probably something along your Shakespeare line of thought. Uh, I think C.S. Lewis kind of had a similar idea. As you can probably tell, I'm a huge fan of C.S. Lewis. Yeah, yeah. I've got that by now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I probably have most of the stuff. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Oh, yeah, and I read your you. Facebook uh, post too. Where we, yeah, yeah. I, oh, you I saw that. Nice. You remember? And I, yeah, yeah. And I asked you a couple of questions about C.S. Lewis because uh, I'd heard about, you know, some of his uh, certain quirky shall we say doctrinal beliefs uh, and um, yeah, so, yeah he held yeah. to a few of them but not quite the ones people thought he believed right yeah which yeah. works me a little yeah, yeah. <laughs> not gonna lie but he said that god looks at time that he created sort of like a single page instead of a book like he sees all of it at once there's no present past or future it's all just there yeah so it's not like he's writing history or being a watchmaker and just blowing, just wearing the watch, letting the time go by. He's like, yeah. oh, yeah, this is it. This is, yeah. The, yeah. this is the page, right? Yeah. And C.S. Lewis goes further in, in like miracles and weight of glory and the great divorce where he's like, oh, God can interact with this page. He can take a pen. He can annotate he can do whatever yeah yeah that's yeah. Nat supernaturalism is an extension of naturalism right yeah yeah <clears throat> uh, second objection i would probably make is and i've done this with a few people at my workplace yeah. so uh, and like they're like um when that make god culpable for their sins i'm like if you gave birth, if you had a son and he grew up to be a murderer, would you be culpable for his sins? I'm like, no, you wouldn't be. And then I think the third objection for, especially for like the um, time loop that Steinsgate presents and its concept and idea would yeah. probably be like, no, you're the, the time isn't the problem. It's, or even the fact that it's there, it's just, man, how do I articulate that one? Um, trying to find the words for this. If, the, I think the thing with Steins Gate is I think the death caused in that time trip, that original time loop that he's going towards, yeah, is his fault. He's culpable for that. He set that true time tunnel himself. God didn't do that. He did that. So he's still culpable. God isn't. Yeah, 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 yeah. If right. he never made that mistake in the first place. Yeah, it's 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 all it's on him. It's on him. Yeah. 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 Oh, although the um the second objection might be uh, I guess the parent and child objection might have some people saying that, uh while the parent is not directly responsible, the way they raised him would be uh, 
part of the reason why he ended up being a murderer. So I guess um, that would be. <laughs> I love that you that brought that up. Because <laughs> Monster goes into that heavily. <laughs> oh, yeah? Really? Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. You make me want to see this anime again and again the way you <laughs> describe it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome. It, it, I think you really enjoy it. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Dr. Tenma, the guy who's been framed, well, made to not so much framed as to look like he actually did these murders. Yeah. Um, he's he's always helping people. He's like he doesn't believe that people are inherently evil. He believes everybody is born innocent. Yeah. And naturally inclined towards good. Whereas again, the main antagonist of the series is now everybody's inclined. Natural inclination is towards evil, which we as Christians yeah. we would agree with. Yeah, yeah. But we would agree with the actions under common grace that Dr. Tenma yeah. is closer to the truth. Right, because God restricts they bo- the evil. Yeah, yeah. Because, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Because otherwise, we would have men tearing each other down. We would have the Hobbesian universe in some sense. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to check so- this anime out. Yeah. Uh, so we did a little right. bit of postmodernity. Right, right. So here's here's the point. Um, the the reason I brought up this, uh, yeah, we were talking about cultural anime as a cultural phenomenon, and um, how depictions of good and evil, and in this case, human depravity, and even compatibilism, would be would be mentioned in anime, and um, and we even touched on the authorial model of providence, uh, and I guess that's fascinating because. You would see really awesome anime wherein uh, there would be evil characters uh, mm-hmm. who 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 are there for a reason, and the reason is to show how good the the uh, positive guys are, and to bring out a, a, a beautiful tapestry, a beautiful cohesive unit as a whole. And um, I guess that's that's the that's that's the, that's the authorial model, and that's how wonderful art can be if if used in the right ways. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and um, on that note, uh, which is that uh, anime has has all, has got all of these awesome stuff going on, and and the way they depict uh, certain Christian notions, Christian ideals of good and evil, justice and injustice, there is also moral ambiguity depicted in anime, right? In in Death Note, we see um, moral ambiguity clearly on display. I, I think that's um, Death Note's one of the utilitarianism ideologies, right? Right, as far as I've seen, I haven't seen the whole thing. Okay. But, um, yeah, yeah. The point up to which I've seen, and the fact that I've read most of it, does it does seem to lend towards a more utilitarian idea of of how, yeah, yeah, human virtue ought to be. Uh, seems to me the um Sam Harris sort of view, more okay. landscape kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, I am familiar with Sam Harris and Ben Shapiro. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, um. That, that that does seem to be the case. And here's a question. Wouldn't almost all of anime lend itself towards a utilitarian perspective considering their base point? Because Japanese culture as a whole seems to me to be, well, effectively atheistic in some sense. I mean, they might have some sort of organized religion, but at the end of it, uh, they seem to be a more secular-minded culture. And um, as such, it seems to me that uh, their moral structure would be utilitarian, wouldn't it? Ooh. 
I'm not Japanese, so it's only conjecture. <laughs> yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah. It's just、uh, based on the anime that I've seen. It doesn't seem to me to be the case, and it's it's a question I've been wondering about because、um, yeah, I know for a fact that they're not extremely religious, and it's it's not it's not against them or anything. It's just the way that culture seems to work. It seems to me that、um, they're more secular minded. They seem to have a, a more secular view of life, and as such. Yeah. I, I would agree with you. They have a more secular-minded view of life, but I would also say that they probably have a more appreciation and respect, and even tolerance for other concepts、oh, in general、yeah. than we as a Western culture have been in the last.、Yeah. I don't know since the eighteenth since the, since the Enlightenment. Yeah, although you're the ones who keep talking about tolerance, <laughs> in fact, <laughs> the most. Every single time you see tolerance being lifted up, and、um, the、yeah. intolerance of tolerance now being almost unbearable at this point. But, I, I,、um, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but,、um, Immediately move away from the topic. Let's go. <laughs> Take a car and drive. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> you guys seem to love talking about it, but doesn't seem to be out there much. But yeah, the point being. Yeah,、uh, they seem to they seem to be able to integrate a whole lot. They seem to be able to integrate cultures, integrate ideas. They use a lot of Christian imagery in anime,、mm-hmm. uh, and,、um, and not even because and, it's Christian, just because it looks cool. Yeah, because it looks cool, and they they find it easy to incorporate ideas from cultures while not losing the essence of the anime or their own culture, for that matter. And it's it's fabulous. It's it's fascinating. But、mm-hmm. even so, having Uh, absorbed or having used all of these ideas, wouldn't the、uh, fundamental core still be in some sense utilitarian,、uh, similar to a、uh, Western conception uh, currently, uh, as the West is moving towards atheism? One would assume that utilitarianism would be the moral、uh, framework by which we view whether something is good or evil, as we see in Hollywood depictions of right and wrong. But、um, it seems to me that anime. Doesn't really follow the utilitarian mindset, at least in some sense. They seem to hold to a transcendent view of good and evil. There, there still seems to be the,、um, the, 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 the last remaining,、uh, I guess, drags maybe. But there still seems to me this this view of a traditional m- morality underpinning many anime that I <clears> see, <throat> and that that to me is fascinating. Do you have any thoughts on that?、Um, I think that's. That I think one of the biggest ones for that is probably gonna be like the big three, like the two of the big three, Bleach、oh. and Naruto, where they literally have demons inside of them,、oh, like yeah, yeah, the supernatural, the yeah, inner yeah. evil inside of their care inside of their bodies. Like it's an inner evil. Like we're born with evil, we're born、right. in sin. Yeah, yeah. In my mother's womb, in sin, my mother conceived me. Conceived me. Yeah, yeah, and I think that truth is still resonant somehow by God's common grace. Right. Yeah. 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 That, In that, that culture. Yeah. Yeah. And exactly. And I think even though they did not know God. Yeah. Yeah. It's starting to play with that. I think a little, like in terms of like concepts of like monster and Death Note, and like oh, it's starting to realize oh, we can play with this. Yeah, yeah, we can make it as ambiguous as we can. We can, yeah, but there is there is the sense of of human depravity at the beginning、mm-hmm. in a lot of these anime that you mentioned. Yes, yes, it is, it is fascinating, truly. Yeah, yeah. 
extremely fascinating culture. And the view of right and wrong. Which, um, yeah. And even concerning, like, the right and wrong, they have that, and then they have the honor system as well, which... Yeah, yeah. They have to balance with the moral code. Which exactly. I didn't realize this when I first watched it, but I was a little upset with one of the characters in Bleach for his kind of snobbish, prudish ways. And yeah. basically what looked to me through Western lenses as strange disrespect and ultimately hatred towards his family. Like the more I studied the Japanese culture and the Japanese language, I'm like, oh, this means this, this means that. Yeah. I get it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. One and, of the um, song like the intro song that plays throughout that arc, one of the intro songs. Yeah. It's the heavy metal theme. Yeah. Um the first hard rock theme really it's not heavy metal it's more hard rock or heavy rock the name of that is um, ishirin no hana which literally means something like my precious little one flower oh that, okay that mean that's yeah. his sister right yeah yeah who, who is trying who the rest of the soul society the like the big moral government of that um anime are trying to execute right yeah yeah, and he's yeah. got to come to grips with that somehow. <laughs> and then Ichigo, yeah. the orange-haired kid, is like, nope, Western nope, dude's going to take a stop to that. <laughs> Western philosophy and an Eastern dude is going to take a stop to that. <laughs> so, right, yeah, yeah. It's very interesting. I'm like, that is so cool. I never noticed that before. And now I have more respect for that. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of that kind of respect towards the elderly seems to be inculcated uh, uh, very young in Eastern cultures. It's, it's here as well, not to the extent in, uh, as it is in Japan, but it's still common here that you that you ought to have a natural respect towards the elderly and you call them by uh, various um, titles mm -hmm. because you you want to show your respect towards them, which I guess isn't that common in Western culture. So I guess um, there would be a that will be a difference there. Fascinating. Yeah. All right. So, if anime is art, and since anime is art, and anime is also a cultural phenomenon, and um, we, we see how that plays out in terms of morality, in terms of justice, in terms of compatibilism, and all of that, uh, here's George Orwell coming in and saying, all art is propaganda. So, from that perspective, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wait, we're going now from all that to communism? <laughs> Not necessarily. We're just going to propaganda. <laughs> I'm sorry, whenever I think of propaganda, I immediately think of the red flag <laughs> with the hammer and sickle. Fascinating, yeah. You know, because uh, it's uh, back, back home. Uh, yeah, that's not, that's not, oh, yeah. Anyway. All art is propaganda, says George Orwell. Is all anime, is all anime propaganda? Um, no, I don't think I'd say all of it's propaganda. I think I'd say um, most of it is promoted. Most of it is um, used to promote thinking. True, yeah. But here's the thing. And um, I, used to, I used to think that all art wasn't propaganda, but... Um, Everyone that being would said, have, yeah. 
that being said, did you see that one review I did last year? Of? Uh, that one with like the Disney-like animation. It was black and white. And it was that one of the first ones post-World War. Oh, yeah. I've heard about that and um, how they wanted to bash the Americans. So that was clearly propaganda. That was definitely a propaganda film. Absolutely. It was one of the first anime ever <laughs> yeah, yeah. from Japan. Yeah, which was just blatantly. <laughs> it was blatant propaganda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Go get it. Was, it ends with the children, like the animal children. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The yeah true. Absolutely. Literally doing oh. somersaults, landing on America. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, but, that, but that's it. That's 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 a very overt form of propaganda. Yeah. We're talking about subtle forms of propaganda because um, let's take Hollywood. Um, a lot of people would say that there is a propaganda in Hollywood. Uh, I don't know if I agree or not, but uh, there would be a lot of people who say that there is a definite propaganda within the Hollywood uh, community, and they're trying to push this, push a, a certain narrative forward. It's not overt, because if it were, then almost everyone would have caught on it. But not everyone would uh, would agree, even agree with that with that idea. But there, but there is an undercurrent uh, of, uh, of uh, the view that um, Hollywood does push a certain propaganda. And um, I guess, I guess that's how I view uh, this 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 uh, this quote, this book by George Orwell. He 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 uses a lot of uh, authors, and he says that. While you might think that this is not propaganda, there is there is a subtle core of propaganda within it, and it's not good or evil. It's just it's just there, and um, I guess I guess that's what I was wondering because would there be something like that in anime? But here's where that might not be the case. <laughs> uh, if if we are to assume that um, almost all of anime, uh, at least uh, the major chunk of what we call anime, is post-war. And if we were to agree with uh, the uh, postmodernists, like Jean-François Lietard, who might say that um, all of post-war culture is is postmodern, in the sense that there is a, there is a, there is an objective, or there is a strong dislike towards a meta narrative, uh, then since all of anime is post-war, and since post-war culture is against meta narratives. They might not be propaganda driven because there is no meta narrative. So yeah, yeah, so I can we, see that. So we've got, uh, I guess, two conflicting notions. On one side, you've got George Orwell who says that almost all of art is propaganda, and then you've got uh, postmodernists who might uh, who might argue that since there is no grand narrative, uh, how do you drive propaganda without a grand narrative for you know pushing something forward? And um. <laughs> Uh, let's see. I have an idea. I think that is going to depend on your definition of propaganda. Right. And exactly. Google it, it defines it this as certainly will. information, especially of a biased or misleading nature, used to promote or publicize a particular. Political, political cause or point of view. Right. Uh, so if it's biased or misleading and is a pol political point of view to promote. 
So I think if it's like an under, yeah, yeah, true, Diego. Almost like an underhanded sort of thing, you know, where the uh, have you seen those memes where like, hey, we got, can I, hey mom, can I go to this place? And mom's like, no, we got this at home. Oh yeah, we got this at home, and this at home. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. And this at home is something completely different from this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of what propaganda in my mind is. Yeah, yeah. And from I guess from that perspective, no, anime is not propaganda driven because certainly there is no, there you they don't try to mislead anyone at least not on any superficial level. You wouldn't assume that anime is trying to mislead or drive a political point. But no, uh, and I don't think philosophical yeah. points are inherently propaganda, propaganda either. Driven, but isn't isn't man a political animal, and thus whatever he puts out would have some some links to. Uh, politics because um there would be uh, the undercurrent of a political view even if that's not blatantly pushed forward and i was wondering i'm just i'm just thinking out loud uh, in that case wouldn't there be some view of this this political view is right and this is this is not all that right would that be propaganda in some way we we we, we are stretching the definitions of propaganda now and um, I do wonder <laughs> if you've gone beyond the definitions, but I'm just <laughs> because at this point all art would be propaganda. Was that what George Orwell was driving towards? But yeah, it's it's fun to think about. That's why I put that out. What do you make of it? It, it I, I like the idea of like I think his question is is all art propaganda is probably the essence of postmodernity in general because he's like. Hey, this exists. Let's question the purpose of it. Because right, right, what truth is yeah. there? What truth yeah. is in this? Yeah. Is that an actual? Is that actually truth? Is there a meta narrative, as you said earlier? Yeah, yeah. And if something is being promoted for its truth, wouldn't we reject that anyway? If it, because postmodernity is supposed to reject the meta narrative and replace it for a localized narrative. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it is. It is supposed to reject all of that, and that's why. Uh, yeah, yeah, because <laughs> there's there's this absolutely wonderful quote uh, in this. Uh, have you read something by? Um, oh, I forget the name. Was it? Yeah, Hiroki Azuma, and uh, there's a book by this author called Otaku, and uh, I love this book because it talks about the. It, it's about database animals. And um, let me just quote something from that, this, just, just to just to, to just give us an idea of what uh, it's talking about. Here's here's the idea. Um, the, the the personal pronoun otaku fulfills the function of mutually endorsing the fantasy of group affiliation. For the otaku, certainly the fictional is taken far more seriously than social reality, and the media often conclude. From this kind of observation, that otaku cannot distinguish between reality and games. However, such a conclusion is imprudent, since not all otaku are mental patients. It follows that they generally possess the ability to distinguish between fiction and reality. Their preference of fiction is related to their identity. And yes, here's the ultimate point. Otaku shut themselves into the hobby community, not because they deny sociality, but rather because as social values and standards are already dysfunctional, they feel a pressing need to construct alternative values and standards. 
this is a postmodern characteristic because the process by which coexistence of countless smaller standards replace the loss of the singular and vast social standard corresponds precisely to the decline of the grand narrative identified by Jean-François Lyotard. Nice. I love that. You're going to have to send me a link for that book. Yeah, yeah, it's an awesome book. I'll send you the link. So, Sick. so this is the quote, right? Yeah, and I find that fascinating because that's true, right? In some sense, the otaku subculture that is that we talk about and um, is seen to uh, <coughs> be viewed by the media as some sort of shut-in community, and while that might be true in some sense, there is a there is a whole lot of uh, there are a whole lot of people who who might be considered otaku who who delve into the culture because of the social value it provides because of the localized narratives that it provides where they find a lot more uh, social uh, interaction other than the uh, real social network that supposedly out there. Yeah, I think I agree with that because. As you were reading that quote, I'm like, oh, look at that. He is describing like the essence again of postmodernity. It's yeah. like they're re- finding a group. Yeah. And replacing within a, a larger yeah. Within yeah. a larger group to replace the supposedly larger meta narrative. Yeah, and, with another localized yeah, one. And delve into this one. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. fantastic. Absolutely. And that's why I wanted to put this out today because um uh, a lot of people might consider us uh, otakus, although I guess uh, we wouldn't be in in the uh, definitional sense. So, well, I wouldn't it... definitely. I definitely wouldn't ascribe to postmodernism. No, no, yeah, and and that, that's the point, because postmodernism, in its political uh, demonstrations and its political forms, is is quite uh, is certainly not a wonderful doctrine. It uh, has 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 a lot of issues. But, well, there's no absolutes. Yeah, there's no absolutes. Absolutely. But, uh, <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it is also true that it is a it is a cultural condition, and 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 Frederick Jameson and all of these guys when they talk about it, it is true that culture has has been driven to a point that people distrust grand narratives, if that's capitalism or or socialism or fascism. Or any of these isms uh, that have, that people have brought out and supposedly are uh, all-encompassing, uh, people finally realize that no, it's, it's really not the case, and so there is this distrust certainly towards meta narratives, Christianity included, mm-hmm. and um, that that certainly makes you realize why people might uh, find themselves attracted to smaller communities where there are these values that you can share. And uh, I guess that would go for a uh, Marvel community or any of these these small uh, close-in communities of, of, of fans of a particular genre, fans of a particular um, series or anything, who, who find social interactions within that community way more pleasant and way more agreeable than the uh, outside reality, so to speak. And I guess that's a postmodern condition. I think so. And then I think... While we're on the topic, I think this aspect of postmodernism is kind of tied to the to the idea of structuralism, where they're tied, everybody is connected, connected yeah. by like the idea of language and shared yeah, cultures. And, yeah, yeah, and linguistic relativity also because yeah, uh, yeah. If you, if you really can't find the uh, truth within a given text, then 
is there truth as a whole or is it just a mm-hmm. construct of that culture which produced the language mm-hmm. right yeah yeah true and awesome. um yeah and i guess that's why us we find a lot of uh, fun in in engaging in online communities of uh, anime lovers because of the uh, shared culture the shared uh preferences we have and i guess that's that is that is in some sense a postmodern condition uh it it wouldn't have been the case uh, i guess 60 or 70 years ago people wouldn't uh people wouldn't have um, enjoyed being in such a community as mm. people do right now so it is it is fascinating yeah I, it is definitely very it, it my uh <laughs> the rest of my family were like oh hey is this popular now i'm like yeah it is <laughs> yeah 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 all that's true right i mean uh it's it's not that popular here but still people love to look at it and say oh yeah attack on titan in fact uh, uh some of our creators here are using uh uh the um songs from attack on titan and uh, some of the um memes and stuff and including them in malayalam skits malayalam being our our language and the uh, cultural uh, the, the mishmash that produces is fascinating so you've got uh, the uh, japanese anime you've got usually the english dub of it and then you've got our own malayalam culture drive them all and mix them all together you <laughs> stir the pot and out you have whatever but it's fascinating that's amazing <laughs> Yeah. I'm going to yeah. have to see some of that memes along with your uh, pronunciation of the Malayalam script. <laughs> Absolutely. I'll send those to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Tech and Titan memes are the best. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. All right. Thanks. So we talked about postmodernity and I kind of yeah. want to talk about its follow-up post-secularism. Oh, yeah. Which I think yes. is interesting. Um faith religious slash reason and secular if that's a thing reasoning and logic can coexist and at times morally unsuccessful um some people use this term to refer to the beginning of postmodernity um i wrote john lennox but i also want to make the case that gk chesterton might be one of the fathers of post secularism cuz he came out is love the orthodox yeah like his stuff like orthodoxy her- yeah. heretics right right maybe even the everlasting man which i have in my shelf but haven't quite read yet <laughs> but so so how would you how would you go about um because because this is fascinating so uh, in a post secular age how how would how would a person view um reason logic in connection to faith as we as you spoke about because as we know um they've been seen as completely divided in uh, the um modern age in some sense because uh, reason and logic were tools for humans to to thrive and faith whatever it is was to be kept in the uh, was to be very personal postmodernism mm-hmm. came in and um even reason and logic took a hit because they were tools of of the white uh, culture and therefore not necessarily absolute truths because um, these were all recent logic dialogues where where uh, western uh, conceptions and uh, they held value because of power structures and because western culture had a 
had, I guess, more power. Uh, their power imbalances and Western culture drove all of culture, and therefore uh, reason and logic were uh, the standards. But uh, that should not be the case, say the postmodernists. But now we've uh, reached or talked about postsecularism, and I find that fascinating because there is the there is a confluence of, of faith and uh, reason and logic mm-hmm. in some sense. And I think it's kind of closer to what. Ah, oh, man, how do I phrase that? I think it is an ideal that is a step closer than what we talked about earlier, what humanism is, right? We went... Yeah, yeah. Where humanism has, like, all those different philosophies. Um, let me see where my notes on that. I have too many notes. That's what I have. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, we'll get to that in a minute. We'll jump back. Uh, Humanism is a democratic and ethical life stance which affirms that human beings have the right and responsibility to give meaning and shape to their own lives. It stands for the building of a more humane society through an ethic based on human and other cultural values in the spirit of reason and free inquiry through human capabilities. It is not theistic and does not right. accept supernatural views of reality. Yeah. That is from the uh, called the International Humanist and Ethical Union, which actually has their own website, if anyone wants to take a look at that. Yeah. Um, but post-secularism is like, hey, you can have that and faith and reason. And I would also right. argue uh, Christian humanism and Christian existentialism get more into this. Yeah, yeah. But reason and faith are not mutually exclusive. They are compatibleist. They're compatible. In fact, um, one might argue that you need faith to have reason. Mm-hmm. Because, which yeah. I think yeah. is, which I think John Lennox is also a proponent of right yeah yeah as well as c.s lewis chesterton which i think was one of the first um i guess the first would be uh augustine when he said credo yes Deligum. yeah so yeah i believe that augustine yeah augustine aquinas hmm. uh although aquinas might adhere to uh, a more of a reason-based faith model in some mm-hmm. sense as opposed to the augustinian model it is fascinating uh, to. But they just show that they, that you can still have both. It doesn't matter which oh, order. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> I was just yeah, I was just saying. I was just mentioning the uh, primacy of, of faith in uh, yeah. trying to grasp reason. That it does seem to me to be the case that um, apart from uh, starting with the uh, acknowledgement of uh, a triune God of the universe, reason as a whole might not have a standing. But yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, as opposed to secular humanism. Certainly, this is a, a, a trend in the right direction because, um, mm-hmm. uh, if you can, if if there is, uh, if uh, the fact that faith and reason can coexist is shown to be the case, which is the case, and uh, then I guess it uh, it helps move the discussion forward rather than being stuck in this trench where people keep throwing rocks at each other. Here is faith. Here is reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
Yeah, I was able to find a lot of stuff on uh, filmmakers and authors for postmodernism, and it's yeah, surprisingly yeah. difficult to find like a consensus of stuff for post-secularism. Absolute. Oh yeah, like, even postmodernism in some sense. I mean, uh, because uh, you read one author and you get a simulacrum, and then you read another author, and then you go. I'm like, is so, this postmodernism or is this like absurdism, <laughs> existentialism, or yeah. humanism? Like, or is it all of them? The, the whole thing is confusing. Yeah, but. Yeah. <laughs> Because I guess that is the modern condition. You you get confused out of your mind, and and yes. thus you reach nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's a state of confusion based on a <laughs> concept of not believing anything. You have no reason. You have no faith in your reason. Yeah, you have no faith in reason. So maybe psychedelics might help. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Who knew we get jokes in here? Yeah, that's great. This is awesome. Yeah. All right. I'm having a ton of fun. Where do you want to go from here? Yeah, yeah. So we've uh, we've covered. I've I've no idea. We, uh, we started with anime. We started with anime as a cultural phenomenon, then art, and then justice and injustice. We've reached with modern, with modernism. So post, um, we've done post-modernism, post secularism to post secularism. We've done humanism and Christian. We've done Christian humanism. Uh, in small patches, I believe. <laughs> Uh, let me see. I might have this. Oh, have you a note on Christian humanism? Uh, I know that one of my favorite books is written by a man largely contributed as one of the biggest proponents of Christian humanism, and that is Desiderius Erasmus. Oh. And I have a copy of The Praise of Folly. Awesome. Right. Yeah. And it is yeah. annotated, and I love it. <laughs> it is... I haven't read it in probably two years, but I remember it being one of my absolute favorites. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, so, I how, like, do you, how, how does he describe Christian humanism? Um, let's see. I think there was a page. Because uh, here's a question that I want to ask when you when you uh, describe Christian humanism. Erasmus writing in the 1500s would have had an idea of humanism that is certainly not the case uh, of the humanism that we have now. Because humanism back in the 1500s was certainly human endeavor to understand God's works in a clearer fashion, right? Mm -hmm. To understand God's world better, uh, to understand how he created the whole universe uh, in, a, in, a, in a more clearer, coherent fashion. That would have been humanism in the 1500s mm -hmm. as opposed to humanism in 2000, where it's just just about humans and a very secular idea which clearly was not the case in Erasmus's time so how would how would he describe Christian humanism what how does it move forward uh, how does the idea of Christian humanism make it more Christian in the 1500s Let me see, I think. Yeah, I agree with you that the humanism, the secular humanism of his day was probably definitely different from the secular humanism we have now. Yeah. Because I think they still had an idea of, what's it called? Like, God is a creator. 
they live in a created universe. They had the idea of post-secularism without having gone through post-modernism. <laughs> <laughs> or even modernism for that matter. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> Let's just uh, skip the hard parts. <laughs> yeah, Christian humanism was a movement with optimism toward the goodness of humanity, growing through the Renaissance's development of resurgence of Greco-Roman interest in the 14th, 16th century. Uh, explore the philosophy of humanism and its relation to the Protestant Reformation and Christian faith of the time. Does that sound about right to you? I didn't hear the last sentence, uh, Christian humanism. The last uh, sentence. Explore the philosophy of humanism and its relation to the Protestant Reformation and Christian faith of the time. Oh. Oh, I so know... It's, it's connected to I, the Protestant Reformation. Yeah, it's interesting because... If you read The Bondage of the Will by Martin Luther, um, he and Erasmus didn't yeah. really get along get very well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that being said, Martin Luther was actually kind of nice to the guy. He didn't verbally compared insult to, him. Compared to his other fascinating just, interactions, <laughs> where yeah, all he sorts only... of wonderful invectives were thrown out. <laughs> yeah, he only called him, like, I don't know, like a worthless pig with the nose ring or something that was it mm, yeah i mean that's that's fame in comparison hmm? he yeah, liked I know, the guy right? <laughs> <Amazing>. <laughs> i know maybe it was all erasmus studying of greek that he appreciated i don't know yeah 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 <laughs> but yeah yeah you know you know that 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 makes a lot of sense considering renaissance the renaissance and how um human development was seen as uh, wonderful and how human uh, ability was, was was almost raised to a level it seems to me to be the case that um, an optimistic view of, of christianity might have been uh, christian humanism so we can do all of these things we are we are able to do a whole lot more than we thought we were capable of because of the resurgence of greco-roman literature because of the resurgence of renaissance art and even science so human capacity was uh, being uh, found out human potential being understood in ways that were never known before and that seemed to have struck a chord with the christians who i guess wanted to mix christianity with this optimistic view of the future <laughs> thinking about post-millennialism now but um uh, thinking of this um this optimism and i guess uh, an optimistic view of christianity but uh the uh, the reason to i guess take a step back might be this this might be this might have fueled a, a view of humanity that might not have been entirely consistent with the doctrine of total depravity in some ways is that is that right i think based on the annotations within his own praise of falling i think i would agree with that i think i would agree right. with your understanding of where that idea of total depravity was starting to kind of leave yeah 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 that that, that was my sense too because uh this is this is fascinating it's just that human potential might have been given a bit too much of of thrust mm -hmm. although that might have been necessary had uh, the uh reformers Maybe because the reformers might have been a bit too on the negative side. I don't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you can do nothing. You, you, you're gone. <laughs> it's uh, it's all dust and bones now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, that wasn't the case. No, I'm just kidding. But um, uh, yeah, yeah. I wonder. And um, 
and would such a view have led inevitably to enlightenment because if you can do you know if 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 human potential is so vast and so so boundless let's say mhm well, if you get rid of, if you get away if you go away from total depravity and get rid of that you're probably can replace it with total ability yeah right? yeah you're able to do a whole lot of stuff and um, you're not really hindered by the um effects of sin noetic or otherwise because mm-hmm. they might have adhered uh, to the uh, view of depravity as such as it is a moral uh, aspect but i wonder if they uh, acknowledge the noetic effect of sin in our minds because that would also have been the case right so um while uh, intellectual pursuits were awesome intellectual pursuits without or rather um disconnected mm-hmm. with the idea of the triune god mm-hmm. might not have been the best move forward just i'm just wondering well, this is one to think about i ought to yeah we really ought to think about christian humanism a whole lot more it, it seems fascinating and it seems to me to be where if postsecularism is a modern condition maybe that's where we're headed to i don't know that would be definitely an interesting episode <laughs> yeah anime as christian humanism <laughs> <laughs> i was thinking more along the lines of praise of folly by desiderus erasmus oh yeah yeah true we maybe discussing that too because I brought about anime because anime that Well, I meant that like the, for another episode. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like you can may I'm able to find you a copy. Yeah, I need a copy because uh, I can't get a copy here. <laughs> I'm able to send you a few I'm able to send you a few recordings. Oh. It's public domain. Right, yeah, yeah. I think you I think you'd like it. I think you'd like yeah, that absolutely. as well. Yeah, yeah. Um I'm getting to that. Yeah. Uh, so right. I have no idea where we are right now. We've, we've reached Erasmus from uh, monster. Uh, so yeah, that's that's one that's one stretch. We've <laughs> done Carcapta Sacra and like postmodernity. We've done Steins Gate and compatibilism and yeah. incompatibilism and determinism and free will. Yeah. Uh, we've done Christian humanism and humanism. Uh, trying to think of some anime that might tie it all together. Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. Now let me tell you yes. <laughs> yes. why this anime yes. is the best. <laughs> so good. <laughs> it is the greatest anime of all time. We can even go into just war theory in that too. Oh yeah, yeah. Because uh I'd never really looked into that until I saw your video, the, the video you shared with me, the, the one about Nietzsche and um, mm-hmm. Nietzsche. And, it's uh, just a great playlist. Berserk. Yeah, and down there was just War Theory for um, the Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood. And uh, yeah, yeah, I hadn't thought about that for some time. Anyway, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood is an amazing anime, and it does get into a lot of the themes that we talked about. It It, it certainly gets into a lot of philosophy. it gets into mm-hmm. the um humanistic conceptions and uh, transcendental notions when it uh, delves into scientism mm-hmm. uh extremely well which you've gets... done a video on yeah yeah which is in a video on guys take that out as well yeah <laughs> we'll put the link it to it somewhere it's good yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it also gets into this um this thing between uh, uh this this idea of race and um individual sin versus collective sin 
which yes. I think is a, a very fascinating topic, right? Because a lot of anime would shy away from it. A lot of modern Hollywood would not even depict it. But mm-hmm. it it is it is a topic to discuss, and they've done it really well. While it certainly is true that there is a collective uh, aspect to sin, it's always the individual that's at the end of it, and you cannot, uh, or at least you should not, tie the blame of the individual to the whole community and then blame it all on them. It certainly wouldn't be right, and um, I, I I am fascinated by how Hiromu Arakawa did that wonderfully well in the depictions of Ishval, Ishval in Civil War, and uh, how they reconcile at the end Ishval and uh, Mestres, amazing stuff, mm-hmm. I guess, and also the conception of truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And, uh, yeah, the uh, transcendent nature of truth as a whole, truly amazing. Uh, not seen in many anime, although they do. Uh, have transcendent ideas. This this one show transcendent nature of truth as a whole. That truth is uh, outside of human perceptions, which I guess is mm-hmm. uh, a, a very true notion because uh, we now we're now living in the realm of uh, your truth and my truth. And I guess uh, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood uh, dealt a blow to that aspect when it talked about truth as being transcendent. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yet, uh, it's still somehow personal, uh, personal yeah, transcendence. Fascinating. So the immanence and the transcendence together, which is yes, because everybody quite... has their own door, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> true. That's true. You can tell I've watched both of the both of the adaptations. <laughs> I know. <laughs> right. Right. It's an amazing anime. It deals with a whole lot. We have to dedicate an episode, a single episode to Fullmetal Alchemist Brotherhood and all of the philosophy behind it. Because I think we can, uh, we can, you know, we can go in a whole lot uh, with that. I think, I think it lends itself to the, a certain Jewish conception of religion, uh, which Shiromo Arakawa talked about. And uh, yes. obviously, obviously it lends itself to the uh, philosophy of truth. And we might get into forms and such, uh, the idea of forms, the theory of forms. Maybe talk about how uh, views on uh, mathematics and logic are uh, not necessarily invented as much as they are discovered, because I think there is a line to that in uh, *Full Metal Brotherhood*. And of yes. course, the uh, the uh, connection between science and um, religion, and science being driven for its own ends, which will all almost in inevitably lead to disastrous consequences, as we see in the uh, Third Reich, and also as we see in. It's interesting that because the scientism negative aspect of that is seen as way more devastating in the original TV adaptation, which goes away from the manga. Oh, 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 yeah, true. And it's spoilers for those who haven't listened. So maybe (laughs) skip ahead five minutes if you haven't seen that. I would highly recommend you go watch that. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Uh, Yes, but, and if you don't care about spoilers, here it is. It's revealed that their powers of alchemy are derived from souls of the real world or the alternate world without alchemy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the underground, yeah. So that's where you get the power from and um, and, and that's just people's souls. And that scientism is like, Whoa, that's dark. Yeah, it certainly is. And and when I see people like Neil deGrasse Tyson and others pushing forth an idea of scientism in government, they say that 
you know all you need is a couple of scientists and you get the thing done i'm like no no it's not how it ends we've seen how that kind of thing ends yes we really don't want to go there yeah well they created a homunculi <laughs> that didn't work yeah, out they created homunculi so you really want us to create a homunculi you really want to go down that path <laughs> well, we're already doing that with the ai too right yeah yeah um, did you see sure. that creepy ai video the other day which one or the ai it's the one that says you should have never created us oh yeah 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 i recall seeing that somewhere yeah wow i just saw the thumbnail from him like ooh, that's scary <laughs> you know um and it's fascinating because people who create this don't seem to have watched science fiction science fiction movies because they all have this i mean every single science fiction movies have have this concept you don't want you don't even have to watch fullmetal alchemist brotherhood watch an old yeah. science fiction stuff and you'll see how this thing ends but, <laughs> but yeah terminator matrix <laughs> everything <laughs> you know you know what's fascinating about scientism jp molan wrote that book scientism and secularism we just talked about secularism and uh, it's secularism that gives rise to scientism without a transcendent basis you end up with science as the transcendent and that leads to all of these crazy views so i can yeah. see i can i think i think i can see that and that is fascinating yeah yeah <clears throat> right so we've uh, we we've gone everywhere and um it's uh I have no idea how long we've we fresh of... this. Yeah, we've fresh this. We've... we've gone on for about one hour, 45 minutes. It's been amazing. I love talking with you, mate. And, oh, you're, uh, you're fantastic. You're so much fun to talk to, dude. You I'm, too. And I, I want to do this honest. again and again because <laughs> I have no idea uh, where people would start and end with this discussion because we've gone a lot, but uh, this is fascinating. And We um, should probably talk a little bit more about anime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're having so much fun with the philosophy yeah, because i started with anime and so guys this is about anime you know this <laughs> for those of you still listening this is about anime you see my picture in the back it's this school temple it's it's all about anime it's just that we've uh, we've gone mm, i have no idea where but it's still anime it's still focused on anime yes so yeah Awesome talk Jacob I've had a really fun time talking with you I I want to talk with you again we'll we'll discuss uh uh I don't even know what we'll discuss I'm going I'm not going to put a name to it because I'm pretty sure we won't stick to it we'll go berserk <laughs> <laughs> Nice <laughs> But yeah, yeah it's been awesome having this uh, time talking with you mate and um I uh will we'll discuss anime again in the next episode of Jacob and KKD talking anime and philosophy. Yeah. All right. Have a great All night, right, dude. Man. Yeah. Have a great yeah, night to you, morning to me. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is. Yeah, it's night to you, right? So it's 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 yes. It's um it's yeah, and it's start of the day to me. All right. So bye man and uh it's been awesome. I'll uh, see you next time. Awesome.